You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. And that's Mary. Join us as we focus the spotlight back on the theater maker to uncover their process. We speak with folks in the industry that often aren't heard from. Such as stage managers, producers, crew members, marketing professionals. And everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Dori Berenstein. I'm a Broadway producer and I'm a filmmaker, and I am CEO of the Broadway Podcast Network. (laughs) Which everyone here who listens to us, they already know. We love love EPM. Um, So before we kick off, I just wanted to say that this episode is is like the first episode officially of our like mini series that we kind of we wanted to launch called Page to Stream. And so with obviously everything that's happened with COVID-19, and then mixed with things that I've been doing in my professional life of streaming events and streaming uh, concerts and such. We wanted to have conversations. I was talking with Brian and just like talk to theater makers who are now streaming events. So obviously that includes Netflix, um, but it could also include, you know, anything that, that you're streaming online, whether it's just through YouTube or if it is from like a bigger platform like Netflix or Disney Plus. So we're excited to take this leap and we're so excited to have Dory to have you on here as our first guest of this new miniseries idea. I am so honored. What a way to kick it off. Yeah, we're so excited to talk to you. But specifically, we wanted to talk to you about the process of bringing the prom from the stage to screen. But can you begin by telling our listeners a little bit about how you first became involved with the theatrical version of the project and how long ago that might have been? Because <laughs> I know this one was cooking for a while. Oh, my gosh. Yes. These things take a long time. Uh, day one for me on the prom was pretty much day one of the the prom. Um, and at this point, that was 10 years ago, if you can believe it. Um, 10 years ago, uh, I got a call from Casey Nicola, who um, director, choreographer, and Casey and I knew each other long ago from working on Thoroughly Modern Millie together. And uh, we had been in, stayed in touch, and we had always talked about doing something together. And he said, I have an idea. And the idea had come from Jack Fertel, who's a legendary guy in our business, just an amazing um, theater maker. And uh, it was uh, just a a few lines of an idea, but pretty much other than that, a, a blank page. And Casey had already talked to Bob Martin. Chad Beglin and Matthew Sklar about it, composer, lyricist, book writer. And they had uh, jumped on board to this idea and they invited me to dinner and they pitched the idea of the prom. And it was literally as simple as this girl from Indiana is, wants to take her girlfriend to the prom and the PTA cancels it. And this crazy group from New York the Broadway divas swoop down to Indiana to save the day and they make things far worse. And that was basically the idea. And I'm looking at these people that I just love so much and I just believe in their talent so much. And I said, yeah, we're doing this. This is happening. And it took eight years, eight years to get to Broadway because these things are hard. Uh, Bill Damashki joined me soon thereafter as um, uh, my producing partner. And, and uh, it, it was, uh, 
just a fascinating roller coaster ride to Broadway, but um, very, very proud of this story. It's such an important message, and um, and I'm very thrilled it's now coming out as a film. With so many people that'll have access to it, which is one of the most amazing things about where you guys were able to get this um, movie placed. So how did the conversation begin to adapt this uh, Broadway musical into a feature film? Well, you know, I think we all felt all along that this would really translate well to the screen. But just thinking that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And as is often the case early on in the run of the prom, we had various people from studios show up and say, oh, you know, this is really exciting. We're really interested in, in the possible adaptation of this property. And coming from film, also, I, I know that very often that means really had a great time. See ya. <laughs> You're never going to hear from them again. Uh, so we did feel that Ryan Murphy would love this project. We knew he had a, a deal at Netflix, but he also separately on his own had heard about the prom. And he had already on his own uh, decided to come see the show. So we had opened in November and Ryan came to see the show in January. And only Bill and I knew he was there. And we talked to him afterwards and he said, I love this and I want to make this movie and I know exactly how to do it. And having heard this many times, not just on the prom, but (laughs) many other things throughout the years, it was like, "Uh so glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) Oh, so you did not believe him at all. Well, you know, I think if I believed that every time I heard that, I'd be a really depressed person. (laughs) It's probably better just to just be thrilled they had a great time. And if anything comes of it, oh my gosh, how exciting. So it's maybe self-protective. But this was different. This was different. Ryan moved very, very quickly very soon we're in negotiations and figuring out how to make this real. And even when it does happen, and even if when you do make a deal, it could be years before there's actually a a green light, years before the movie goes into production. And we were in production that same year in December. So it happened fast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've been talking about turning Wicked into a film for... (laughs) Like, it feels like a decade now. <laughs> Longer. <Actually. laughs> yeah. Was how fast Ryan moved, was that surprising to you as a filmmaker? Like, was that, or is, is that maybe Ryan's, like a testament to Ryan's personality or work ethic, or maybe just like how passionate he was about this story? I think it's all above. And I think it's also um, his goal, which was uh, aligned very much with ours, is to get this message out there as quickly as possible to change hearts and minds. And, uh, you know, it's uh, an election year. (laughs) It would have come out during the election year. Originally, that was the hope. Obviously, no one anticipated COVID, uh, putting a little damper on things, to say the least. Uh, uh, But but even even with COVID, it's just extraordinary. It happened so fast. It's amazing. Can we talk a little bit about your role moving from the theatrical project, if you will, to the film version? You're one of the producers of the film adaptation of The Prom. So can you explain the difference, difference between an executive producer and a producer in the film world? For The Prom, uh, specifically, there are five producers. Ryan is a producer. Uh, Alexis Woodall, who uh, is 
Ryan's partner works very closely with him on all of his projects and was very, very involved in the film. Adam Anders, who was the music supervisor, and then Bill and I as the original producers of the Broadway show, received a producing title. The executive producers are Matt, Chad, and Bob, and Casey Nicola. So it is part of the deal that they negotiated, and the executive producers more are, are given that title as part of their deal, but they are not necessarily hands-on involved in the producing of the show. It is more of an acknowledgement of their huge contribution to the film, but the actual work of producing um, is really typically reserved for producer. And then it's actually differentiated further in film these days, and this is a fairly new thing. When you are a producer on a film, there's a differentiating a differentiation between producer and a producer that has the PGA moniker next to their name. And uh, the PGA is the Producers Guild of America. You have to apply to the PGA to get that marker. And there are a lot of people who are listed as producers who don't get that marker. And, um, and then there are producers who get that marker. And that the mark signifies that you actually played a very significant role in the production of the film. You have to go through a whole process to apply for it. And there's a panel that reviews everything very carefully to decide whether or not you should be receiving that credit or not. And so it breaks down further from EP to producer and then producer with a PGA marker on it. So is that like project to project? Does that like vary from project to project? Completely, because your role on a film varies, you know, from film to film to film. And and so in some instances, you might be more passively involved or might not be engaged in in the same extent. I mean, it really is pretty rigorous that, you know, they have pages of, of, you know, what would help you get to that point where they'd agree to give you that marker. So um, it's a very, very... uh, um, deliberate, careful (laughs) differentiation. Um, It's very interesting because um, I've I've done a lot of film work in the past, but this is the first time I've gone through that process. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard that from the screenwriter's uh, point of view, where they also have to do something similar, but not for the PGA. I I guess it's for the WGA. WGA. And they have to submit all the pieces that they wrote and then they compare it next to what was actually used in the film and then they decide what percentage you know of your contributions was actually made um so i thought that was really interesting so it's interesting to hear it from producers yeah well i think i think it's so interesting and it really made me think about uh, relative to our business in theater because you have 25 people above the title and some of those people show up at opening night you know so And you need those people and they're wonderful, but it'd be interesting if there was the equivalent to, to differentiate. So Dory, I wanted to ask about the timeline of from when Ryan came to see the prom on Broadway to when you guys started pre-production, which I guess, I don't know if there were any changes made to the script or what that process looked like, but what, how, how long of a period was that exactly? Ryan came to see the, uh, the movie, uh, the movie, the Broadway show in January. Um, we, over the next couple months negotiated, you know, obviously plans started to um, take shape because the goal was to get the film into production as quickly as possible. We had various, um, uh, cast come in to see the Broadway show. Uh, but all of this was very, very secret. 
and quiet, mainly because Bill and I felt very strongly we didn't want to take anything away from our Broadway show. We wanted full focus on our cast and on the, you know, the talent uh, in our cast and on the show itself. And so we didn't want to, for anything to take away from that. And, you know, particularly as we were approaching the Tony Awards, um, we wanted every, all the focus to be on our show and our cast. But obviously things had to get underway and, uh, and move forward. Um, the work on the script, uh, it started off uh, for Bob and Chad and Matt, uh, you know, really f- just starting to talk about how you open this up, how you adapt a show on from the stage to screen, and to start thinking about what are the opportunities, maybe even that we had, that we thought about when we were working on the show, uh, that we decided we couldn't do on stage, because, you know, obviously, there, there are some limitations when you do something on stage. Uh, and it's not just practical. You know, you can't, the monster truck rally was not going to actually take place uh, on stage. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and it could in the film, but, um, (laughs) but it was also, uh, we, we talked a lot about should Emma, should we, we should see Emma's grandmother. We should see her family, not to ruin things for people, but you know, things that uh, financially, we just couldn't expand the cast even further. It was way too many, you know, the cast was too large. We couldn't, you know, financially justify it. And so there were things that we didn't do that we thought about and that we had the opportunity to, to think about for the film adaptation and Bob and Chad and Matt, um, uh, I'm thrilled were the ones that were doing it. So it was our book writer, composer, and lyricist that worked on the film adaptation. And so they they started to, you know, conversations with um, Ryan fairly quickly and work sessions and started to figure out how to open up the film and how to adapt it. At the end of the day, it's very much our, our Broadway show on stage. It's 100% of our score. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very true to our show. Show, but there, there are understandably and wonderfully opportunities to open it up and to take it to uh, another level. So this leads me into what I wanted to talk about next. And I was lucky enough to see, I told you this beforehand, but I was lucky enough to see a screener this past weekend and I absolutely loved it. So for everybody who is listening right now, um, it's amazing. And when it comes out on Netflix on December 11th, you must get to Netflix and watch it. But it does exactly what I at least want a movie musical to do, right? It it takes what can't be done on stage, like you just said, and makes it possible for the screen. So how involved were you in taking these expanded visions and bringing them to life now from an artistic standpoint. How does a producer come into these conversations for the film now and bring those visions to life? You know, we had had for eight years, we had had many, many <laughs> discussions and and I was certainly uh, in touch, in close touch with Bob and Chad and Matt. You know, we were together constantly because of the Broadway show and we were uh, they were the only other ones that knew about the film for quite a while. So we were constantly talking, but this was very much Ryan's adaptation and his vision. You know, he had a very clear idea from the first moment about how he saw the adaptation going. And he was very clear to us that he also just truly adored 
the show and wanted to be very true to the show. And, and I think that's why he brought on Bob and Chad and Matt, as opposed to bringing on very established film writers, you know, that is, you know, wonderful for us because we really wanted to protect our show because that's, of course, what we want to do. Um, but, but with complete respect to Ryan and, and to the idea of how it could be enhanced and, and, um, and taken to the next level on screen. But Ryan had a very clear vision and he also, you know, had a couple thoughts about adding a song um, that uh, we all thought was was a wonderful idea. And Bob and Chad and Matt wrote that song, and it ended up in the end credits. It didn't end up in the movie, um, but uh, you know that was part of the conversation that happened. Uh, but I had, you know, in answer to your question specifically, it really really was Ryan leading the way creatively a hundred percent. We, we weighed in and we had thoughts and opinions, but it was right. It's, it's Ryan's vision. How does your role change now? Once filming begins, I know you went out to LA and were there for a lot of the filming, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you know, COVID, it, right? Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yes. <laughs> Actually, right up uh, to COVID because we were out in LA when we got shut down. Yeah. You know, and um, uh, we had four days to go when, when uh, the movie was shut down uh, and it kind of miraculous that we were able to get those four days in in July. Being in the film business separate from my Broadway life, you know, there are all sorts of different ways to, to be involved. I think in, in this case, so much of the heavy lifting as far as shaping the story and shaping the characters and shaping the music and the score, so much of that happened before we got to Los Angeles and to the set because it really was our show. And for eight years, Bill and I had worked so closely with the creative team to develop every moving part of the show. Uh, and it wasn't radically altered. Uh, so creatively, um, there wasn't, you know, a tremendous amount to do. Um, and c- casting, you know, it was certainly our pay, it, it, we were obligated contractually to approve the cast. And, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I just don't think Meryl Streep is right. <laughs> I don't think that was going to happen. Decisions. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, that, that was not a very stressful thing to do. Um, we just continued to support in a variety of different ways. Obviously, we were sitting on the history of the whole project. And so when it came time to start thinking about how to put it out there and to understand um, the challenges and the opportunities that we encountered along the way and understand... Um, uh, partnerships and and uh, uh, a variety of different ways that we were able to um, support Netflix and Ryan along the way. That was really something that we were able to do. And also, um, as far as some of the work along the way to weigh in and to give notes, whether it was a new scene or um, the song that was under consideration, or it was very helpful to be right there, to be on set and to be able to, to uh, interact with everybody on a day-to-day basis. I really love how you said earlier that you were able to have some of the the film cast attend in secret <laughs> the the Broadway production. So they were able to see, you know, their characters journey on the stage and then kind of I'm I'm assuming that there were some transition and that was probably really helpful for them in their, you know, character development of their own. What happened really? It wasn't like, okay, Meryl, you're 
in the show, go see the Broadway show. It was more their own choice to attend, to understand what the prom was and to make a decision whether or not they wanted to be in the film. So, you know, that it was, it was the other way around. Um, and, you know, I think with, with any actor, any actor, they, they want to make the part their own and they, um, uh, are certainly inspired by what they see, but they they need to shape it and create it, and 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 for it to be their own version of that character. Because when the show was written, uh, you know, it was written with the idea that one day it would be played by millions of different <laughs> actors and high school kids and all sorts of things. So, you know, it's not like it was set in stone that it would be played in one way. Um, but important important to say that. You know, of course, our deep, deep allegiance and love for our Broadway cast um, was always front of mind. Um, but uh, it was a uh, Ryan's dream to make a fairly big budget motion picture that would get the broadest possible audience. And for that to happen, for that to be greenlit by Netflix, it really required a very uh, well-known cast, very established film cast. And our Broadway actors could not be better and they're top of their game on Broadway. But, uh, uh, you know, obviously they're not, they're not a, established film actors. So that, that is why Ryan uh, went in that direction, but which was hard for us, but um, understandable. Well, I love that you just brought up big budget movie because it truly seemed like a big budget movie. And Mary and I were talking before you hopped on um, about Ryan and the team uh, building New York City uh, <laughs> for, in like six months, apparently, um, after you guys tried to get permits. Mary, do you want to? So the article that I read this morning had talked about how he had you know, applied for the permit with Times Square and was unfortunately rejected. And so what I mean, do you know what those were you part of those conversations of like what like was soundstage just like next? I, I know that they like they you guys acclaim or not acclaimed you guys took on like an abandoned property right uh, it was actually downtown downtown LA um yeah. you know it, it it was assumed from day one I mean when our first conversations with Ryan is that we would definitely be shooting in New York and we were going to be shooting at Sardis and we were going to be you know uh that's what he wanted um and Sardis was of course on board but but uh, we were not able to shoot on the streets of New York as we just assumed we would be able to. <laughs> you know, uh, Ryan's team um, really went all out to try and make that happen. And it's like, how do you how do you do this if you can't shoot in New York? And when Ryan then turned around and went to Netflix and said, you know, we did everything we could. We couldn't get thumbs up. We need to build New York. And Netflix said yes. It's scary how much it looked like it like every detail is so spot on. I think it's kind of New York on steroids. Yeah. And and Sardis on steroids, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Were you able to visit that particular location oh, on yeah. set? It's and beautiful. How did that feel for you having, you know, been on that street? It's magnificent. And you know, I think how how it made me feel is just so excited about this movie because the movie is a, a love letter to Broadway. And, um, and, and boy, you know, your point to your point, the attention to detail and the care and the love that went into, to, uh, capturing and, 
uh, you know, really just making it as beautiful and lush and, and spectacular as possible. It It is uh, uh, magical. And, you know, just having the deepest possible passion for our community and our world, knowing that this is how Broadway was going to be presented to the world. So I, it just made me so happy because I just felt that, um, you know, aside from the adaptation of our film and the extremely important message that our film has uh, or our show has and get, getting it out there in such a big, gigantic way, but then Broadway and the, the you know, making Broadway just front and center in everyone's mind out in the world, just in the ripple effect that that could have on people's excitement and coming to New York and seeing live shows or seeing live theater all around the world. It just, that's where my head went. And I just was ecstatic. You know, for people like us who are, you know, so accustomed to seeing Broadway, it made, you know, like us really want to see a show again after watching right. the film. Yeah. It, uh, it makes you really miss it. Um, yeah, I, what, I'm excited. Sorry, real quick, Brian. I'm yeah. excited to see it. I have not seen it yet, but I'm excited just because of what you just said and how like I feel just about Broadway and about theater and especially right now how we've been shut down for so long and will continue to be shut down for a number of months uh, to just, and I think it's important to that, like with a platform like, like Netflix where it's so global and it's not just like, it's like a, a theater streaming platform. It is a global platform that will reach so many people who don't have access to Broadway or who don't really even know what Broadway really is or what theater is, will have an opportunity to, to get that exposure, to get that taste a little bit. And especially while we're shut down to make them really want it. <laughs> so when we come back, they will, they will actually try to come if they can. Exactly. Exactly. And they should, everyone should. <laughs> uh, speaking of COVID-19 uh, and, and this whole shutdown, what was the experience? Well, how did COVID-19 um, put any like roadblocks or challenges in the process of, of putting out the prom. I know you said that you guys had to close, shut down a little early, four days, but what was that like once you did get back on set and did that push you guys back at all in your release? Well, uh, I, I don't think it was necessarily um, the fact that we didn't finish in March that, that, push the schedule a little, a little bit. It was probably COVID <laughs> overall and just having to rethink everything. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it obviously, it threw everything into a tizzy because uh, we were um, still shooting and uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, we almost made it. And I think we probably would have gotten another day in or two before we were shut down, but we were shooting at a high school at the time and obviously high schools were shut down. And so we, we, um, if we were at a private location or even on, you know, the Paramount lot where we did a lot of the shooting, uh, we probably could have continued for another day or two. Um, we also, I was supposed to go to London and I was so excited about being, uh, going to London for the cast, uh, recording. And we had recorded all the cast, all the vocals, but if, with the orchestra, I was so excited. Oh, those orchestrations um, are so 
good. They're it, so good, right? They're so full. It's yeah. it's really like on steroids, like you like you said about the street. Exactly, exactly. So I was so excited about going, but um, I did not go, uh, and so it uh, it was a pare down team, obviously, that did go in the middle of COVID. Um, you know, mid mid March to London um, to record, and so they just made it in. You know, wow. just made it in. Um, when we did go back and capture those four days in July in Los Angeles, uh, it was a very, very pared down set. It was absolutely, you know, only those that that had to be there, a really tiny, sub, you know, no matter what, nobody who, unless they absolutely had to be there, <laughs> was there. Um, so I was not there was not essential and uh it was it was so uh important that the strictest covid protocols were followed for obvious reasons and and um the good news uh is that we had wrapped literally that day that we shut down with um um most of our cast and um but um our emma and Alyssa played by ariana debose and joellen palman did fly out for that shoot. Wow. Was this one of the first shows that Netflix brought back to start? Do you know? To start like filming again? I think so. I think mm. it was. Um, it was very early in the reboot process. And uh, and Netflix, uh, I was thrilled to learn, really has uh, more than any other studio, the strictest protocols. And uh, so it really was... Um, I, I get. I, I was able to get dailies, so I, it was fascinating to to see all the dailies. But you also were able to see <laughs> all the protocol being followed in the footage. Uh, so that was that was really interesting, and it gave me comfort for all the people involved. Scary time. Yeah, these new times, and it's crazy because it just depends on where you are. In at least in our country, it depends on what, like when in twenty twenty you you are yeah. starting a project because things are changing by the minute. But I mean, it's it it. I'm happy to know that you guys were able to to wrap or come back at least to finish the project. When did you guys first shut down in March? Was it after Broadway shut down? No, it was before. It was before. Oh wow! Yeah, it was the tw- uh, it was uh, well, it was it was the same day. It was the same. It was, oh, the, it was the 12th. The, our last day of shooting was the twelfth. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll like I'll never forget that day ever in my whole life. <laughs> we'll have to like celebrate that day at the theater every year. Uh, <laughs> like like the opposite of celebrate. You know what I mean? In in memoriam. Yes. Um Was was there something? In particular about this process and about working in this particular medium of film, you know, with a slew of new collaborators, uh, including Ryan Murphy and this star-studded cast that you were able to learn about the piece, the prom, that you, you know, some new discovery about the piece. Mm, Very good question. The prom and bringing it to Broadway was very challenging. Uh, there were it was it really was um, a roller coaster, and you know from uh, in a positive way, in a way, in two thousand, uh, let's see, sixteen, we did our first big lab, and it was a week after marriage equality passed, and <laughs> and so which is you know incredible that marriage equality passed, um, but we had everybody saying to us, 
oh, it's so nice you're making this lovely period show because everything's fine now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and obviously that wasn't the case, uh, but the perception was the case. You know, I think that it the, the struggle to bring a show that some perceive as controversial, which I still don't understand, it w- was hard in, in a lot of ways that uh, making shows like Legally Blonde, it was not, you know, it was, those shows are much easier. This was really hard. And, and I think having gone through all of that and the, the the challenges, you know, even thinking about the Macy's Day Parade with the prom and and how... Um, Eyes Wide Open, NBC and Macy's knew we were going to get horrible pushback, (laughs) putting it nicely, as well as a lot of love out there, but that there was going to be some um, real ugliness that would come out of our appearing on the Macy's Day Parade, just being surrounded by by all that tension and and, um, controversy for so long on this project, which is why we were determined to make it. And then to, to all of a sudden be on a Hollywood set and surrounded by like the top stars in the world and, and Netflix and director's chairs and, 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 you know, um, craft service tables, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, on Broadway. I know. And, and, and it's like, wow, this is going to get out there. And we've tried, we've killed, you know, we've worked so hard to get this out there and it's, we've had so many pushbacks and so many struggles along the way. And this is going to get out there in such a big way. The power of, of Netflix, the power of the internet, the power of, of um, media, the power of Meryl Streep, the, you know, all of that. Um, it just, it was, it was just, and it is astounding and thrilling and joyous. And, um, you know, through those very difficult moments along the way, and I'm not just speaking about myself, I'm, you know, Bob and Chad and Matt and Bill, um, Casey, uh, had we known there was going to be this movie at the other end of this, you know, this amazing movie, we would have powered through those challenging moments without uh, blinking an eye. But, you know, it was, uh, so I I think it's just um, uh, that all these people have come uh, come around this show and come around this issue and um, want, believe in it as we do, that they want to get the the message out uh, that this movie has and they want to change the world. It just, you know, clouds parted and birds started singing. <laughs> it's just been wonderful in that way. So as a, as a filmmaker, because you said that at the beginning of this episode, but that you've, that you've been in the film industry for many, many years now, is there anything between any of the projects you worked on with film that you would like to see be reflected on the stage as far as how film handles certain things, or even as of late with like COVID, how you would like to see theater take a a stance with like COVID safety when we get back? You know, it's a very, very different situation. I mean, uh, when we were doing the reshoot on prom, we were originally going to have in one particular scene, 300 extras. not going to happen in the middle of COVID. You know, we had to figure out workarounds to do it with a far smaller number of people. Um, And it's seamless. You wouldn't know it in the film. Uh, They did a magnificent job. You know, I think that uh, it's a very different beast when you're trying to figure out how to take care of a live um, performance 
on stage, backstage, in the pit, in the audience, uh, there there are limitations. You can't you can't control everything in the same way, and you can't put the audience in a you know quarantine for two weeks. <laughs> um, you know, so there there are limitations. But I think that the attention to detail and the seriousness with which um, Netflix uh, approached COVID certainly uh, was inspiring and um, made it very clear you can still do amazing things. You just have to follow this protocol and, and be really, really careful. So, you know, I think that all of, uh, I think we all have a lot to learn from each other. Even, you know, Broadway is, I'm on all these COVID committees and we're also looking at the sports teams and, you know, uh, the NBA and how they're managing things. And so I think we can all learn from each other during this time. Um, and, uh, uh you know, I think that you can also look at Korea right now because they have had nonstop theater uh, since March. They COVID has not interfered. And in fact, they have shut down in Korea. They, at different points in time, they've shut down um, uh, Starbucks. They've shut down uh, religious services. They've set, shut down all sorts of things, but they never shut theater down. Um, so there is a very safe way to have theater um, <laughs> in the middle of COVID. And so I think we have uh, a great deal to learn from, you know, from that as well. And not just, you know, Broadway learning from Korea, but but even the film business learning from, from other examples. You know, it's best practices and whoever's got them, let's grab them mm. and learn from each other. Australia is back now too. Yeah. So yeah, and, and they were in the middle of July, not so long ago. They they were uh, they had shutdowns and were quarantining, and 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 now they're opening theater. It's incredible. Mm. Oh, Ooh. jealous! It gives us hope. <laughs> I know. Yes. Yes, for sure. Mary, do you think we should move on to our lightning round to yes, finish this off? Yes, I'm excited. Okay. Uh, so our first, these are just lightning round questions that we do. Uh, we switch them up every now and then. Uh-oh. And um, <laughs> we're, not necessarily gonna res- we're not necessarily going to respond. Um, they're just like little <laughs> uh, hit and runs. So the first question, Mary, would you like to ask the first question? Yes, please. It is my favorite question. Um, it is, what is one thing in the theater industry that confuses you? <laughs> one thing? I have to come up with one thing? Yes. Oh, confuses me. Wow. I am confused as to why it's so much easier to mount shows, and I'm speaking as a producer, to mount shows that are pre-promoted and that have either been on screen or they have they are you know it's uh about a a recording artist then you know their music as opposed to something brand new and original obviously from the prom and other things that i've done I, i i mean i love both i love both i've done both but i mean to me i am most excited about brand new things i've never seen before it's much easier and this is the in the film business too it's much easier to get a green light, to raise money, to get an audience, to come see something that they've basically already seen. <laughs> you know, I so talk about confusion, that confusion. <laughs> That's a great answer. I love it. <laughs> what are three adjectives that describe your favorite working environment? Three adjectives. Oh, wow. Collaborative, uh, inventive, and challenging. You know, I, I, I like I like 
if it's if it's so easy you know everybody would do it i i like i like the process of of figuring it out and working with a team of people so collaborative inventive and um i don't know the challenging is the right word i just yeah um, um what is one job in the theater industry that you would trade jobs with for one week ah well i would i would definitely become a theater owner and i would <laughs> i would greenlight all the shows that i think should be greenlit and i'd mm. give them theaters that's what i would do I love can i that. add a follow-up to a that brian very sure. productive week same question but for the film industry ah uh-huh well um, I think it would be just so much fun if I had Meryl Streep's talent <laughs> <laughs> and I could, she can do anything, anything. It's just amazing. And she is such an incredible pro. It's just been a, what a gift to have watched her work. Um, so I, I'd be Meryl Streep for a week. So you're trading jobs with Meryl Streep, not just, acting. No, just no, I, not jobs. That's specific. Not jobs. I would. I would need to change. I would need to be her. That's okay. the thing. I need. Change I want to know, like, <laughs> what it would be like to have that talent, to have that, you know, a, a just extraordinary professionalism and and uh, just ability to yeah. to uh, in, become a different character. And I, I, I would. That's. So I, I, that isn't entirely answering your question. <laughs> Again, I'd probably want to be a studio head and I'd green light all sorts of movies that mm. I want to make. Is there something in your process as a producer that you would find unique to you? I don't know that it, it's certainly not unique to me. You know, every, every producer is different, but I just love more than every, anything, the, the process of collaboration and finding a team of people that, um, that loves to collaborate and love loves to, you know, and that are, are so good at what they do that I'm going to learn so much from them. Uh, so I think that's, that's how I love to work. What is um, one hobby you have outside of theater? <laughs> uh, well, outside of theater, I love the movies, but um, I think you, <laughs> as far as entertainment goes, um, I am a massive political junkie and I um, I collect political buttons and here I can uh, this is audio so it won't mean anything you know my fauci button oh my gosh my vote out hate you know I have I have I have I have to have my political button. I I so I'm fascinated by politics and uh, foreign policy and um, and uh, I can't get enough of history and learning about all that and um, watch, you know, every single doc I can get my hands on, on uh, the state of the world and, and also um, understanding the historic context mm. of the world. Who is your number one ideal collaborator in the theater or film? I'm going to say, you know, I'm just going to throw out someone who I just think uh, I've just had the best experience working with this person on the prom and on uh, halftime. And I just, uh, I just love working with him. And that's Matthew Sklar, composer Matthew Sklar. He is um, just the most giving, supportive collaborator. He is um, uh, egoless. He is just what is best for the 
for the show, for the film. Uh, he's a team player. He's so brilliant. Um, and he's, and nothing is precious. So if he creates something and it doesn't work, he just creates something else. And, and the one example that I'll never forget, you know, uh, that I saw over and over again on, on both of the musicals I've worked on with Matt is <laughs> we would be in a room like with Casey, Bob, Chad, and Matt, this was going back years when we were developing the prom and we'd be talking about a particular moment and uh, Matt was always very, very quiet and Chad and Bob and Casey and everybody were throwing out ideas and, you know, maybe, maybe the scene should be this and this and the music should kind of be like that and that. And, and Matt is very quiet. And then kind of at the end of the discussion, um, you know, Casey would turn to Matt and say, well, what do you think? And then Matt would say, well, how about something like this? And during that course of the conversation, he will have, he was composing, he was composing the perfect song that took everyone's thoughts into consideration. And then he would play something on the piano right then and there. And it was like, yeah, that's it. Okay, great. What's next? <laughs> it was just like amazing to watch him work. And so uh, I just, I just love working with him. Shout out to you, Matt. <laughs> um, okay, uh, then our last question is What is the last great piece of theater that you saw? <laughs> um, the last great piece of theater was on March 9th. I flew back to New York for 24 hours to see the opening of my daughter's show, Andlings at New York Musical Theater Workshop. And unfortunately it closed the same week because of COVID, but it was uh, it was quite a, a, a wonderful opening night and I was so proud of her and I'm so thrilled I was there. Hmm. And Sammy, we were speaking about uh, theater in Korea. Sammy was mm -hmm. out in Korea for several months. That's right. Reporting yeah. back on what they're doing over there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah. Uh, uh, I, I'm just happy I, uh, that uh, it did get to open. You know, so there's so many shows that didn't even get to open this season, and that's so sad. Yeah, when we come back. How can our listeners find you, and can you shout out your podcast um, and, you know, all, the, all that good stuff? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, let's see. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, and I think I'm Dory.Berenstein, B-E-R-I-N-S-T-E-I-N, and Dory is D-O-R-I, and uh, Facebook. I don't even know what my Facebook handle is. Um, <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I have a podcast called Deep Dive Broadway. And um, with the I, cutest little fish in top hats. I thank you. I love my little <laughs> logo. <laughs> and um, I, I'll give a shout out to um, a soap opera that we've launched called As the Curtain Rises. And it's Broadway's first audio soap opera and it just has an incredible cast and lots of drama behind the curtain so i would recommend you check it out and find out yeah. what's going on there yeah we're gonna we'll put all the links in the description notes for you guys to go <laughs> click through thank you and everybody go see the prom on netflix yeah. starting december yes. 11th yes absolutely start see streaming you at the that prom. music i can't wait i'm so well, excited <laughs> 
Well, it's been so great talking with both yeah, of you. Yeah, thank you. you thank I you. love your podcast, so this is an honor. Oh, Aww. we're so happy Thanks, to have Story. you. We're happy to see you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.